How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today, uh, we're welcoming, welcoming the incredible John Schneider. Uh, you recognize John as Beauregard Bo Duke from Dukes of Hazard, Jonathan Kent from Smallville, James Jim Cryer on the Haves and Have Nots on the Oprah Network. Uh, he has five number one Billboard singles on uh, country, uh, prolific in philanthropy, um, active, nonstop working. John, great to have you on here. Hey, great to be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, growing up, and this is when I was kind of my parents and even my grandparents, I remember one of these things where I never got into TV or cartoons, really. It was always a reruns of Bonanza, the old John Wayne movies, the Rat Pack stuff, uh, Dallas. Right. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that when, as you're doing this, we watched as a family. We were all together, my sisters, my parents, my uncles, they're like, oh, do you see what Bo did this week? Or do you see what they did here? <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's, it, it was wholesome entertainment. Everyone can right. relatable. And it felt like you were part of your, your TV family you were part of at the time. And so I guess my first question is, when did you realize that you were part of something special? And is this, is this type of magic something you're still actively looking to try to get for a new show or something like that, especially in your world? Um, we, well, you know, I watched, I grew up watching Bonanza as well, except I watched it when it was, uh, when it was first on. Uh, same, same show, right? Uh, but the Cartwright family seemed to feel like my family to me. I, I remember when Dan Blocker died, uh, my mother came home from work. She was a wreck when, uh, when Haas Cartwright passed away. So I understood the relationship between a television, between an audience and the people on screen, perhaps more than a lot of people who were on screen. Uh, there's a tendency for people to kind of sequester themselves away and not, not be in touch with the fan base. But I'm a theater brat, so I was always in touch with the fan base and still am. So I knew by, by virtue of going out to do personal appearances and things, I knew that people approached me as, as Bo from the Dukes of Hazard, like this, you know, with their arms open, like, oh my God, it's you, come here. And they would, which can be a little freaky, but you know, that's like, oh. So I, I knew that we had, uh, what was Buck Owen's song, A Tiger by the Tail, Yep. Um, early on. Uh, and we still do. Uh, people still come up to me as if, as if uh, they just, saw me a couple days ago at the family reunion at a barbecue, uh, unless they were Smallville fans, in which case they come up, but they come, they come up with a little more uh, reverence, respect almost. I mean, Bo is somebody they just want to grab and shake and say, how are you? Right, have a beer with. Right. Yeah, have a beer with. Jonathan Kent is somebody that they, they'll say, excuse me, I loved you on Smallville. Uh, Jim Cryer is somebody that they, they're like, Whoa, because yeah. they're afraid I'm going to be that guy, that guy. But it's it's wonderful to be part of three shows that have had that have been what we used to call uh, appointment television. 
where people would wait for Friday night, people would wait for Wednesday night for Smallville, and then people would wait for Tuesday night for haves and have nots, even though in this day and age, certainly they could just record all of them and then binge watch them. They didn't do that because they had to have a conversation about last night's show tomorrow, or right. they would be hopelessly uncool. Right. Would you play well, a great part of all those, all those kinds of shows, but I, um, but I do, I do believe that we have recreated that chemistry. It's really chemistry between the, uh, the, the, the actors on the show. I believe we've create, recreated that chemistry with stand on it and then poker run uh, because when we do concerts, pardon me, I'm on my laptop on a pillow. When we do concerts, uh, as we did Friday and Saturday this last week, Cody McCarver is in, is in Stand On It and Poker Run, and Dion Baia are, are, is, are in those movies, is in those movies, and people will come up to them as if they were, you know, like this, again, like the Dukes thing, uh, like their long-lost friends, and they'll call them by their names in the movie. Even though Cody Cody was in a band called Confederate Railroad for decades, right? Uh, they now they call him Frosty the you know what, uh, and they call Dion Sonny, or the Village Idiot. Sadly, they'll call him the Village Idiot, but uh, it's uh, it's really refreshing to see. And they'll call me they'll call me Bo sometimes. But they, my name in uh, in these movies is Duke Marietta, and they'll say, "Hey, Duke." Rather than "Hey Bo," they'll say "Hey Duke." So we're doing something right. And it's obviously you got your start in Smokey the Bandit, and another franchise I've always loved, the Cannonball Run stuff. But right, you've you've been so it's so involved with cars and this type of southern. Uh, I don't even know how you would describe this type of thing, but it, it all goes. I call to it southern you, horsepower comedy. It's just it's all feel good, and you don't show the South as idiots or. Uh, how sometimes media and other movies will portray them as bubbling fools. They right. have a sense of pride. And I think that's what really resonates with people because it's all easily relatable. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, there, was, um, there were two kinds of the South depicted in uh, the 60s and 70s. One was kind of the, uh, uh, the cement pond. I love the Beverly Hillbillies, but but the, the stereotypical Southern male was Jethro. Yes. And Jethro in the city looked like an idiot, right? right? Bo and Luke in the city used their country knowledge, their rural backroads knowledge to, as the, uh, as the creator of Dukes, who was Guy Waldron, he used these words. He said, Chuck and Jive. So we would, we would use our inherent country smarts to outsmart people in the city. And that, that was so different than how people had been depicted in the South before that. And then when we did the reunion movies later, even Guy Waldron, who created the show, he had us go to Hollywood and had us be stupid in, in a couple of the scenes. And in and, and the classic, like, actors know better, which I do think after a while we do, because we actually live in the skin of the people that you as the writer create. 
but we live in the skin and we communicate with people for now 43 years. But we refuse to be the bumbling idiots that didn't know we shouldn't light a fire under the Hollywood sign because we would get arrested. And we made one simple little turn. We lit a fire under the Hollywood sign uh, so it would smoke, so that the police would come, so that we could find Enos, because Enos was working in Los Angeles. So we had a, we had a method to our madness. It wasn't just because we didn't know any better. And it's a tiny thing. The scene looked the same, but it wasn't the same because we were smart. And I think that, that people, especially rural people, regardless of whether in the north or the south, I'm from a very rural part of, of New York State, but I think rural people appreciate that and appreciate our um, policing of how they are represented right. uh, to, to the world. And we do the same thing in, in Stand On It and Christmas Cars and now in Poker Run. Uh, we aren't bumbling idiots out there breaking vehicular laws. We are, we are doing something intentionally and we are good at it. <laughs> right. Like, like Burt Reynolds was good at it. You know, he broke every law on the road and every law in the water but he was good at it and it was cool and he did it intentionally for a greater purpose. Right. We do the same thing in, uh, in poker run. We're not only on the gravel and the dirt and the pavement, but we're also in the water. So uh, we do a little bit of a tribute to Gator in, uh, in this new movie. Love it. With your, I know it's been the news the last couple of years, the general Lee and all this stuff. And I don't want to talk about that, but the idea that you're so close to an iconic piece of television memorabilia that at what point did you realize that this thing, this car was the focal point, like to, to last the ends of time where were you able, I know, I don't think you're able to do the stunts, but right. But was there ever times where you could kind of just like, when you, it finally hit you like, man, I am behind the wheel of something that is legendary. Well, we, um, let me, let me answer a, a couple of those. Uh, I'm a car guy, love cars. Uh, but before Dukes of Hazard, <clears throat> other than Bullet, which had a 68 Charger yes. in it, the only time you'd see a 69 Charger would be, a, you know, in the background on Dragnet somewhere, right? Or maybe, maybe a, some car they wrecked on the Rockford Files. Um, so the car, the car started becoming... Uh, in, in reviews and in uh, surveys, the car started becoming one of the most recognizable cars and then eventually became the most recognizable car in all of, of movies and television, which is great. But somebody had to drive it. And I did not, in Dukes, I did not jump the car. I did in Christmas Cars and in uh, Poker Run uh, and a smaller jump and stand on it. But we did a lot of the driving. We didn't do the jumps. That was too dangerous. So when Tom and I didn't come back for 18 shows, we had a, a, a legal uh, battle yes. about, the, about the definition of the word net. Such a, such a small word and such a, <laughs> such a wide definition. So that was what, what that was about. We had the same stunt drivers. We had the same car. We had the same scripts but we had Coy and Vance. 
And when the letters came in, and of course they were letters, there was no internet. The letters came in and then later people would tell me Coy and Vance did not drive as well as Bo and Luke. It was the same. It was exactly the same. But people put, they had us being better. The, the, notion, the notion that the car was the star of the show was a, a, a fabrication put out by the producers of the show when Tom and I weren't there. So they cavalierly put out, well, it doesn't matter if John and Tom or Bo and Luke, we don't care, aren't here anymore, because the car is the star of the show. Well, we went from top five to like 64th out of 65. So, so much for that. Right. All right. So I love the General Lee, but without Bo and Luke, it's yard art. Love it. So, yeah, it's, yeah. so we have now given birth to a new car. It's a Challenger because I'm a Mopar guy. So in Stand On It and Poker Run, we took a, just a, the true sense of, of a rural person. We, I wanted to have T-tops in my triple black car so it would be very reminiscent of the Trans Am in Smoking the Bandit. They don't make a T-top Challenger. They don't make a T-top Hellcat. They don't make a T-top anything. So with some friends of mine, we took a Sawzall to a Challenger and we cut T-tops in it and then fabricated some supports and did, did all sorts of things because that's what the 16 year old in me wanted. And that's what we got. So my, my wife and some friends designed a brand new bird for the front. My father-in-law and I took, uh, I, I bought some pinstriping online, gold pinstriping. One night we pinstriped the whole car. Uh, and we, we gave birth to what is now starting to be, you know, because we're independent, so we don't have millions of millions of millions of people that are aware of us, but we have thousands of people that are aware of us. And now when I go somewhere and they see our race cars, they go, that's the stand on it car. That's the stand on it car. And that makes me feel great. Well, great, it's cool great. because it's you. It's now it's another vehicle. It's part of your life. It's something you are, you kind of work like compatible with each other. That's just awesome. I think uh, I think it's it, it took my wife to to uh, make me go oh that's right she said you need to get in a, to a car on a dirt road and you need to drive it like crazy you need to be better than anybody in the world in that car <clears throat> and people will watch it and I thought well you know maybe she's right well guess what she's right she's smiling <laughs> now you're obviously so prolific whether it's theater singing filmmaking tv movies all this stuff is this something that you kind of uh became aware of your uh work ethic as you got older or were you instilled at a young age to uh take pride in what you do um and be be proud of everything you do do uh and just work really hard because it seems I like there's a lot of people out there that wish they had your gumption or energy to even do all this <laughs> I like the word gumption. That's great. Um, I started doing theater and magic and, and playing the guitar and juggling and anything I could when I was eight years old. So the first, uh, first community theater I did, I was either eight or nine years old. And uh, 
So by the time Dukes rolled around, I'd already been doing uh, theater for 10 years. And when you do community theater, you have to be there on time. You know, whether, you, whether you're at, at eight years old, nine years old, whether your parents drive you or you walk from your grandmother's house a couple of blocks to rehearsal, uh, you have to be there. You have to be there early. You have to learn how to do your own hair and makeup. You have to, I forgot, obviously, how to do my own hair. Uh, you have to do um, hang lights. You have to build sets. You've got to paint backdrops. You've got to be part of the whole process. So I've always been part of the whole process. And um, when Saturday would roll around, I would be the, one of the kids in the front row of the movie theater watching a double feature. So because of that, and because my dad had a, a 16 millimeter camera, one of my Christmases, I got a Super 8 camera and I would shoot 50 feet at a time and send them out to be developed, get them back 10 days later and edit them on my little, you know, with a razor blade and a, and a block with, with little uh, studs in it for the sprockets. So I, I've been doing this always. When we did Dukes, I would ask the directors why they do, you know, why do they make the choices they make? Uh, what matters? What doesn't matter? What should I worry about as a director and what should I not worry about? I would talk to the writers. I would talk, uh, uh, in fact, I wrote the last episode of Dukes of Hazard and directed it. I would be up in the edit bay with, uh, uh, on a moviola with Russ Livingston, editing, watching him edit Dukes of Hazard. So I was, uh, was and still am a sponge with regard to the process so that when we make a movie like Poker Run, it's, it's so much fun to make. And it's not silly and it's not cavalier because there is a, there is a process and it is, a, uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be doing this. But I'm one of those people that, that wants, as a director and as an actor, I figure my job is to make your job as an actor uh, as easy as possible. So it is. So now when the cast sees the movies that they're in, they go, oh my God, I, didn't, I don't remember doing that. That to me is a big compliment. So I've, I've had that work ethic from about eight years old. Um, initially because you had to, or you wouldn't keep the job. And then because I realized how important it was to being able to get something, uh, uh, not just get something done, but be able to get your dream and your vision out in front of the masses. Right. When you play a character for as long as you have three different times, um, and hopefully do continues on years and years down the line, is it, how hard is it for you to kind of shake a piece of that character as you move on to another role? Is this something where you take a piece of Jonathan Kent to Jim Cryer or a piece of Bo into Jonathan Kent into Duke? Like, how do you kind of, because these are characters that are obviously a lot, big part of your life. And so right. I'm always kind of curious if someone like you is able to kind of, kind of break down maybe a certain part of a different character to bring it to a new character. Well, I'm going to get all, act, all actory and theory on you for a minute. Um, all of those characters have a piece of me. Okay. Okay. So an actor, if I have anything here, an, an actor is like a color wheel. Our particular uh, ability or oddity is that most uh, people have a dominant color. Right. Personality trait, call it a color. So they have a dominant personality trait. Top dead center, just like we talk cars again. 
top dead center. So it's right up there and it stays there and circumstances will, will shift it. The thing about an actor is an actor can change their dominant color. Okay. Cavalier, devil may care, impetuousness was Bo Duke's dominant color uh, that would occasionally shift to, to self-righteousness. Jonathan Kent, honor and integrity was his dominant color. He still had all the other ones, right. but the dominant color was that. Jim Cryer's dominant color is greed and power. Yes. So you just shift, you shift it. Um, Duke Marietta's dominant, dominant color is, he knows he, he's not going to live forever. And he knows he, when he dies, he wants it, he, it to happen while he's having as much fun as he can. Okay. So it's so dom, uh, uh, Duke Marietta's dominant color is, I think, childishness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> almost back to, almost back to Bo. But there isn't any, there's no room for self-righteousness in these movies. These are just fun. So all of those things that, that, that have been part of those different characters, I can dial in, uh, but not in, a, not in a bad way. Some people say, you know, a performance was dialed in. I think it's, or phoned in. I think it's a, it's a uh, when I discovered that, because people have been asking me, what's, because I did a, a, a really nasty, terrible guy on leverage. And I did a very protective kind of terrible guy on Nip Tuck. Yes. Uh, but as long as you can identify what, what's top dead center and then what other colors are surrounding that, then I think you can really, <clears throat> you can really craft a, an interesting three-dimensional character. So there, that's my, that's my whole summer of acting class for anybody who wants to take an acting class. That's it in about six minutes. Is there a ever, has there ever been a time or is there a certain character where a TV show or a movie is, Hey, could you play this character? Is there a type of character that you would be like, man, I just can't do it. Like, is there a type of person you would not portray or a type of thing they would have to do with this role where you'd be kind of like, I mean, I just can't do it. Well, if there was a, uh, it depends on the story. Gotcha. For example, I just did a, uh, I did a YouTube video a couple of days ago, and I don't want to get political here either, but uh, if I was going to play an abortionist, right. it would have to not end well for them. Gotcha. No, it makes sense. Yep. Right? So, you know, in the, in the Bible, some of the, some of the most gruesome stories ever written are in the Bible. So there are, there are Christians who say, oh, I would never play a bad guy. Well, you bet, your, you bet your butt, you bet your ass I would play a bad guy. Right. Because I would play such a great bad guy like on haves and have-nots that it will make the good guy look all that much better. Okay. Um, so if somebody said, hey, I want you to play this role and, and uh, it is a, if the movie was for something I'm against, I wouldn't do it. If the character is for something I'm against, and yet the movie is against what I'm against, then I'm happy to do it. Right. Okay? Yeah, and I'll do it. I'll do it great. Yeah, I'm always curious because sometimes in my world with the the music, you'll hear an artist be like, "I'm not going to go on share a stage with this band because they are 
uh, Satanists or I don't want to be in the band that stage because they're a Christian band. And I don't want, and so I'm always kind of curious at what point do you as the artist, not you, but artists in general, where do you draw the line in terms of just doing what you do, why people enjoy what you do? It's, it's kind of, that's a great answer on you. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't play the, uh, the, uh, never mind. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going. Well, it's one of those things too. And this is a perfect segue. I'm a huge fan of Johnny Cash. I love the history, the lineage, the story, the upbringing. But you had the honor to spend time with Johnny and June, uh, living with them as you kind of became a born-again Christian. So how does that even come to be where not only you chalk up a friendship with Johnny and June, but here you are living with them? Well, we did a movie called Stagecoach together. Uh, it was a remake of John Wayne, John yes. Ford, Stagecoach. And uh, it was Johnny and Waylon and Christofferson and uh, Willie and Anthony Newley and Tony Francioso and Mike. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And uh, at the time, even though it was all those people, I had the number one album in the, in the country one of the weeks we were filming the movie. And it was called Memory Like You. So when I met John and June, they were both in the movie. John and I were, were uh, he was the sheriff or the marshal and I was the, uh, the stagecoach driver. So we were sitting together for weeks. Um, before I could come up and tell him what a fan of his I was, he beat me to it and said, you know, we never miss your show. And uh, one of my favorites, he had just done uh, the General Lee on the Dukes wow. of Hazard. Well, he had done that earlier, but he had done that, that song. So he was a he was a big fan of Dukes and a big knew all my music. So that was uh, that was really cool. So when uh, when the movie was over, he knew I was going to be recording again and touring. And he asked where I was based out of. And I said, we you know, we're going to live somewhere in Tennessee uh, near Nashville or in Nashville. And he said, well, don't rent any place. Just come live with us. So. That's awesome. So I did, um, but that's the kind of guy John was. Christofferson lived there for a while. Larry Gatlin lived there for a while. Ira Dean from Trick Pony lived there for a while. John was very much a, an inclusive uh, storytelling entertainer who loved, who loved the oddity that is an entertainer. So, when I, when I was there with him and, and June, I lived in the, uh, the blue room off the right. Sadly, that house burned down. Right. Um, and I almost had it. I, I, had, uh, I, I thought I did have it. I was doing Smallville. And I talked to the realtor and negotiated a deal. And then somehow that deal went away and Barry Gibb wound up with it. And during a restoration of it, or a, they changed it somewhat, uh, it caught fire and it was terrible, terrible. It's still not built up. There's still nothing there. But I do have the logs. I have the ceramic logs that were in the fireplace uh, wow. in the house. I have those at our, our church, our barn at uh, John Schneider Studios. But in the world of Christianity, the thing that was so wonderfully... Um, inviting about John <clears throat> is that there, there are Christians who will pretend everything is great and they'll pretend that they're nicer than Jesus and they'll pretend that they have no scars. Well, John never yeah. pretended he had no scars. 
you know, John was having a bad day and he said, how are you doing? He said, I'm not doing very well. Leave me alone. <laughs> right? <I'm, laughs> I love you, but leave me alone. Um, so I, I, there was no faux Christianity about Johnny Cash. Uh, and that was very, very attractive. Uh, very, very inviting. So I had been aware, and I, I, I would say that I was a Christian before I met Johnny, but I had not really seen a real one, like a, like a biblical. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and he, that's what he was. And, uh, and it was great. Um, and it made it, and it was masculine. It was, it was not a, 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 a watered-down Christianity. It was a, a rough, where the rubber meets the road battle, personal battle Johnny Cash had with himself to stay in line with his perception of where that line was with regard to Christ. Right. He didn't tell anybody else where their line was, and God help you if you told him where his line was. Right. And that's a message out there. Hey, Christian who thinks you've got time and you are so right with God that you've got time to judge other people's walk, stop right now. Don't do it again. You've right. got the rest of your life to get your own mess straightened out. Leave my mess alone. It's my mess. Right. Well, I think this last couple of years has kind of showed people that, uh, I think people, people that acted that way, at least the ones I've do in my career in life, that they kind of straighten themselves out, like you said, because they kind of realize that you need each other. And take just take the idea of faith or any religion out of it. Just be a good person. And I think um, that's why I've always resonated with Johnny Cash because he he battled his demons publicly and he wasn't afraid yeah. to be who he was. And there is something real to that. And if if it's not if you don't believe in a god or whatever, who, who cares? But just be that person where you are unafraid to be yourself and wear your heart on a sleeve. And you can't right. really ask me anymore. Nope. Nope. Be real. Show One your the, dominant color. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> One of the things about the, with the John Schneider Studios is you you allow content creators to stay creative and a place to harbor their creativity and is this something that you feel you have to leave from the front in terms of preserving the idea of filmmakers and art and stuff in a day and age where big studios and stuff really aren't letting original ideas kind of filter through yeah you have to there's got to be an avenue for uh, for people to express themselves uh and we we provide that um because Hollywood is just, Hollywood is eating itself right now. They, yes. they don't even realize it. Uh, they're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Uh, they completely bailed out on their audience in 2020. They bought into this whole nonsense. Uh, they had rules and regulations that made it impossible for anybody to comply. And then they didn't turn anything out in 2020. I think there was Wonder Woman. I think that was it. Right? And then... In 2021, we've got the only studio films are coming out or are starring people who, who backed, in my opinion, the worst administration in the history of the world. Uh, that's just my opinion. Right. Uh, and uh, make people like me say, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go put money in the pockets of those who, again, back to that other thing. 
I'm not going to intentionally put money in the pockets of those, those whom I believe are enemies of the country I love for the sake of entertainment. I don't care if the movie's any good. Chances are it's not. When's the last time Hollywood put out anything worth watching anyway? Really? It's, it's well, it's usually the art films uh, with some of the smaller studios that right. put an original idea with actors that want to actually act in a real movie with a real story. <laughs> well, and what those are really are independent films that were picked up after they were made, after the, after the dreamer dreamed and everybody showed up and they mortgaged their house and they borrowed money from Uncle Bill. And they made their movie. The studio then comes in and says, oh, you spent, you spent $100? Here's $102. Go with God. Then the studio goes out and, you know, they've risked now $2. Right. The studio goes out, and if they have a hit, studio makes all the money, and the dreamer still owes Uncle Bill 75 cents, right? So, so it's not really ever, as far as I can tell, it's not really ever Hollywood that, that births creativity and, and these wonderful independent films. Hollywood will pick them up, and there's a difference. Uh, so in my world... We don't want Hollywood to pick us up. We're not interested. Right. We don't sleep with the enemy. Okay. We cannot be bought. So we depend entirely on people going to johnschneiderstudios.com or cineflixdod.com to either buy a DVD or stream our films. Uh, we're not on Hulu. We're not on Netflix. We don't want to be. We believe Netflix is one of the largest uh, uh, promoters of child pornography on the planet. That's what we believe. We don't play with them. We have, we have picked up our bucket and our little pink shovel, left their sandbox, and built our own sandbox. Because the cats pee in their sandbox, and they don't pee in our sandbox. <laughs> I love that. And so as we, kind of, as we kind of wrap this up, I do want to finish up with Poker Run. And it's one of those things, too, where for me, I'll go back to Cannonball Run or uh, Smoking the Bandit, the cast of characters, all these prolific, whether it's Sammy Davis Jr. over here, Dom DeLuise, or whoever it is in these bit roles, Jackie Chan. Uh, with Poker Run, you have a bunch of famous wrestlers, uh, Buff Bagwell, Tyrus. Uh, right other musicians, other celebrity type people. And so when you do a movie like that, um, how fun is it to kind of, for you to have an idea in your head, go, well, you know what, maybe if I reach out to this person, get him involved or, cause these people look like they're having a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. The box with Duke itself. Yep. Well, uh, it's great. Uh, in fact, we did, uh, uh, somebody who's in poker run is John Reap. Oh yeah. So John Reap is hysterical. And I got in touch with John, um, and said, hey, remember the scene in Smoking the Bandit where they did this? And he said, oh, I love that scene. I know. I said, well, would you come do the scene? And he said, absolutely. So he showed up and uh, helped hold lights and help do things. Everybody who comes around just helps. You know, we have, we have a very small crew, especially since we were doing it during the, uh, the, the first COVID thing and then the, the resurgence of it right around, uh, you know, local elections. Imagine that. Um, so, so you hear what I didn't say? So, yeah. so, um, 
Same thing with Tyrus. When uh, Tyrus, uh, Alicia and I did his show called Nuff Said on Fox. And I told him we were doing a uh, stand on it at that point. And he said he'd do anything to be the Jackie Gleason character. So he came out. Awesome. So it's really, it's, it's really wonderful. Buff Bagwell, Marcus Bagwell, was in a movie we did that's also on Cineflix. It's very dark. It's dark and funny. I have an odd sense of humor. But there's a movie on there called Four to Go. And Buff came out and did that movie. He's the lead bad guy in that movie. And uh, since then, we've called him a couple of times, and he's usually recovering from a car accident or something. Right. So this time, we said, hey, can you come out and be a, be a police officer? And he said, he said, yeah, bro, but I got to tell you, I can't walk. I said, what do you mean? He said, I just kind of shuffle along. I'm healing. So we said, oh, that's fine. So we came out, and I'm helping buff bagwell into the police car right and he does all this great great stuff and it and it's it is fun but i have to say this you have to be careful when you're making a movie like this that you don't cross the there's there's a point which the audience will catch they'll be infected by the fun that people on screen are having right and i believe that was the case in smoking the bandit in Smoking the End of the first Cannonball Run. Yes. In Smoky 2 and Cannonball 2, the people on screen were having more fun than the people in the audience. Right. And that's a mistake. That, that, that is a mistake where it looks like the people are not in the movie. They're on the set. Right. One where it was fantastic, the line was walked perfectly, was a movie called Hooper. Yes. Yeah. Another. Yep. Perfect. It was just, it was, you knew you were on a set. You knew people were having fun. You knew Alfie Weiss and Burt Reynolds were best friends, but you were still in the movie. In Poker Run, I believe you are still absolutely in the movie, even though some people are watching Bo Duke. Some people are wondering why Jonathan Kent is acting so, is having so much fun. Other people can't believe that Jim Cryer is smiling. And, you know, it's all of, all of that plays in there but everybody in it uh is having a ball uh but they're in the movie right they're in no, the movie it, and i love that i know the movie comes out uh you call it orange friday uh, i do it's in honor of the general lee orange friday and so uh you got that coming out you got christmas in tune with reba coming out right it's the same the same thing on orange friday um but i say this again we depend entirely upon people going to our website, either johnschneiderstudios.com or cineflixdod.com. Uh, and when you do, a little bell goes off on my phone. So we we're kind of like the farmer's market of independent films. When you buy our cantaloupe or our corn, we truly appreciate it. That's awesome. And so it's the only way we get to plant again next year. And if people, or, if people want to reach out or support you, obviously your website, John, uh, John Snyder Studio or Studios. John Snyder Studios. Uh, uh, best thing to do for me, it, it, it'll take you everywhere, is get my app. I have an app. It's called John Schneider. Imagine wow. that. I know. Awesome. I know. It's hard to remember, but it's called John <laughs> Schneider. It'll take you to Cineflix. It'll take you to the store. It'll take you to the concert schedule, the racing schedule, uh, anything you'd want to know and more is at 
uh, on the app. So get it. You can just go to the app store. It'll work on your iPhone or on your Android, on your laptop, on your desktop. Uh, you can stream the movies on your smart TV if you have one. You can screen mirror from your phone to your TV. Yeah. Um, so that's that's where we live. And we need thousands. See, in, in, in their world, you need hundreds of thousands of people to, to buy, if not millions, in right. order to make up for the money you spent on your $100, $200 million movie. In our world, we need, if, if we could get 100,000 people, uh, and I've got almost a million on my Facebook page and, and uh, 300,000 subscribers on YouTube, if we can just get 100,000 people to buy something, to buy any particular piece of product, any particular piece of content, then we can make the next four movies. So, so folks, don't be thinking, oh, this guy's been on television my whole life, and, and, uh, and uh, so he doesn't need my help. Yes, I do. Because every time we make a movie, we are completely all in. Plus, every time Alicia and I make a movie, we think we are going to, uh, to have a little leftover to maybe go to dinner, but we are always all in plus. So right now we are waiting for Orange Friday, hoping that the credit cards still work when we fill up the bus tomorrow. <laughs> now after Orange Friday, I'm sure it's gonna be fine, but we totally depend upon you going to one of those websites or getting the app and getting one of these movies. Uh, it's, it's, it's vitally important to us and I promise the movies are good. The movies are fun. Uh, there are other ones on there that are that are crime drama and like Four to Go is not a movie you watch with your kids. It's the Buff Bagwell one. It is right. gruesome. Uh, Inadmissible is a uh, a uh, really hard hitting crime courtroom drama. Like Son is very hard hitting. So go there, kick the tires around, and get a hold of something. Uh, we it. really, really would appreciate it. Christmas car is a lot of fun. Enjoy it. General Lee all over it. Uh, I jumped the General Lee in Christmas cars. I jumped the, the Hellcat in Poker Run. Somebody else jumped it in Stand On It. Love it. Well, this, right. is, uh, this has been fun, John. Thank you for your time. Thank you for everything. And uh... You're so welcome. I enjoyed every bit of it. Continued success. Uh, everybody who's watching, send this link, not my link. Send John's link around. Everybody, you want, you want to grow the podcast exponentially okay so do that so that so that this particular perspective can continue to have a voice okay awesome. thank all you right. john you're welcome thank you all for checking out this week's episode once again up john if you like what you heard and saw today subscribe to our youtube channel find us on instagram facebook and twitter and check out our brand new merch store with hats coffee bugs t-shirts other cool stuff coming down the pipeline Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. Hi, 
I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.